Welcome to the Pastor Nick Santo podcast, a podcast designed to help you live closer to Jesus. We hope that God uses it to encourage and empower you in his plan for your life. Now let's get into today's content. The text that we looked at was Genesis 17:1, where God came to Abraham 25 years into his uh, walk with God, and, and he said to him, he addressed himself as God Almighty. He said, I am God Almighty, and, and then he gave him this word. He said, walk before me, so walk in my presence, live consistently before me, and then he said, and be perfect. And, and of course, perfect doesn't mean the English concept of perfection, but rather it means whole. It means complete. It's the word that we use, integrity, you know, to be whole and to be one, to be undivided, to be non-compartmentalized, to have all of the parts of the life unified, that there's no division. And that was uh, basically what God called Abraham to. We saw last time that that doesn't mean perfection. It's not, it doesn't carry with it the idea that we're sinless. Uh, There's no man sinless. There is no one that ever will be able to say, I have arrived at that place where there's no longer a struggle. There's no longer a battle. There's no longer a slip up or, or a flaw in me. On this side of eternity, we are imperfect. We will be perfected, but as of yet, we're not there yet. So it's not that. The idea is just, it carries sincerity that we are the same on the outside as what we are on the inside. And that's the great call that God gives uh, to us. Now, um, you know, the, 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 the issue that, that we face is that our human nature is so corrupt on the inside and we're so selfish on the inside that for us to have integrity, uh, to be the same on the outside as we are on the inside, we would just live like animals, because that's what we are. So, you know, we spend our entire lives kind of learning how to not have integrity. You know, we learn what what acceptable values are, and then we behave according to those learned values, and we're constantly suppressing what we naturally are in the inside. You know, so we kind of grow up in this dichotomy. But then the game changer happens when we get saved. We give our lives to Christ, He washes away our sin. He puts his spirit and his light inside of us. He gives us a desire to do what's right for the first time. He puts inside of us a hatred for sin. And he begins this transformation on the inside where we begin to become like him. And that's the big game changer because all of a sudden what happens is that we now for the first time have a desire to be righteous and we have the capacity to be righteous. It doesn't mean that we we get it right or that we're instantly there, but we have this new capacity inside of us, and and it's along with that now we want righteousness, we have the capacity to live rightly, and we have the call from God to live righteously. And so we're called to be transforming in this, and at the same time we're called to have integrity, to be the same on the outside as we are on the inside. So salvation is the big game-changer Because we have this capacity, but we also have this call to live with integrity. So how does integrity happen in the Christian life or for the Christian? How do we walk before him in integrity? What does that look like and how does it happen? Well, we looked at two last week and we'll look at two this week. And the two we looked at last week, just quickly by way of review, is that it, first of all, it begins with a faith choice. And that faith choice is very simply to, to, accept the fact that we've been forgiven and accept the call 
that God gives us to go in, get into the light, that I'm allowed to be what I am. He doesn't want me to fake it. He doesn't save me and say, okay, now go get a cross and wear it around your neck on a chain and join a church and learn how to say praise the Lord and hallelujah and carry a big Bible and pretend that you are something that you're not. He doesn't call us to do that. God doesn't like pretenders. He doesn't want pretenders. And so the faith choice is that I, I know I'm not perfect. I know I'm, I'm newly saved and I have all these struggles, but God is asking me to come into the light. He's asking me to just expose what I am. Don't, don't hide it and strip away the facade. So it begins with the, 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 um, the choice to believe that God accepted me. And so now he's going to change me and I'm free to be what I am. He doesn't want a hypocrite and I don't want to be a hypocrite. Number two is it's followed by a belief in the reality of change, that he can change me and that he is changing me, that there's a transformation that's taking place within my life. And, and the thing about the transformation of God is that it starts on the inside. And so sometimes it doesn't appear right away on the outside because it's happening on the inside. And so maybe there's things about my life that are still very rough around the edges. My language isn't perfectly cleaned up yet. I still haven't gotten victory over some of the vices or maybe even many of the vices that I had. Maybe I still struggle with uh, a cigarette habit or something uh, along those lines. And, and that's okay because the change is happening on the inside. He's changing my desires. He's changing the way I, I, I think, the way I operate, the way I receive pleasure and affirmation. He's changing my values and the things that I appreciate, you know, and he's doing that on the inside and it's a change. It's a transformation. And so I, I believe in the reality of that change. We looked at Psalm 51 where David prayed three things in that psalm that are hugely important for the believer. Number one is he said, purge me, which means take out something that is currently on the inside, meaning God can remove what's in there that we don't like. And then second of all, he says, create in me a clean heart. That means to put something in me that's not currently there. So values that I maybe don't have yet or uh, um, virtues that I don't have yet, God create those things in me so he can take out what I don't like. He can put in what I don't have. And then the third thing David prayed in that Psalm was uphold me or sustain me by your spirit, by the power of your spirit that brings freedom. And so God can take things out. He can put things in and then he's able to hold us there so that we're not constantly sliding backwards into the old life. And so it's, it's a belief in the reality that change is happening and that change is possible. Those are the two last week. Now, two more this week. Number three, the third way that integrity happens for the Christian man is that we let God in to every area of our life. We let God in to every area of our life. Now, there is a, 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 um, a characteristic or a trait that is kind of... It's, it's not unique to men, but it's certainly more prevalent among men, and that is that we have this amazing ability to compartmentalize. And we were kind of made that way by God on purpose because he knew that our role was going to be that we're going to be the hunter-gatherers, the conqueror-killers during the day, and then we have to go home and be the nurturer, caretaker, you know, husband, father, 
you know, uh, provider at night. We have to do, you know, we have to be all kinds of different things. And God gave us the ability to deal with thorns and thistles and problems and issues during the day and to be able to then close that off and come home and not have all that on us constantly all the time. And so we have the, these things because of the, the different hats that we have to wear. We have this ability to compartmentalize. And so, you know, I know for me, like I have my, my work life, you know, the things that I have to deal with around here, the, the things that I have to hear and walk with people through throughout the day, the politic issues that can happen in churches sometimes dealing with personalities and with people. But then I have to go home and I have to raise my kids in the fear and admonition of the Lord. And so I can't bring my work me home and be work me in the presence of my family. I can't carry that with me. So I have a work life, but I also have a family life and I have a marriage life. There's other compartments of my life. I have a financial life. I have to pay bills. I have to plan and project. I have to budget. You know, and so that's part of my life. It's a compartment of what I deal with. I have a recreational life. I like to be athletic. I like to run. I like to work out. And so those are part, those are my recreations. Some people like to bowl. Some people are on multiple softball teams. You know, people have different things that they do, men, recreationally, but that's a part of being a man. It's part of what we do. I have hobbies and things that I'm interested in uh, on the outside of all of that, things I like to build or create or things that I'm into. I like certain sports. I happen to like football. And because of my son, uh, lately, I'm getting into baseball a little bit more, you know, never was before. But, 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 I, but I, I, I appreciate good competition. Uh, I have ambitions and plans for the future. I also have a church life. I have a spiritual life. I have a walk in the word. I have a devotional life. I have time that I spend in prayer and that I spend with God, you know. And then I also have vices, there's parts of me that I don't like about myself. There's things that every year I say, Lord, I'd like this to change. I would like to do this less. I'd like to think this way less. I'd like to be more free of this. And all of these things are kind of compartments that make up a man. And every single one of us have those things. Now, the error that we make, and it's kind of just natural, it just happens by itself, is that there are certain compartments of our life that we naturally invite God into. God is the very center of my devotional life. I mean, he is my, there is no devotional life apart from God. So my church life happens to be my work as well, you know, so my kind of my work life for me, my marriage, you know, God is in all of those things. I, I know that I need the Lord in that. So I depend upon him to be the Lord over those areas of my life. But there's other areas of my life where I naturally tend to just think that God's not interested. God doesn't care. So my recreation life, that's just mine. You know, what I do for fun outside of uh, church stuff, you know, sports and activities and things like that. You know, well, that, okay, yeah, God's not against it. God's not for it. He's just not in it. That's just mine. Okay. There's other areas, other things um, that I think that God maybe isn't a part of or doesn't care about. You know, maybe some of my ambitions or the things that I want for my future. But then there's things, parts of my life, the part, the vices part, the part that I'm ashamed of, where it's like, no, God, you just stay completely out of this, this part. You're, you're not there. You just stay over there. I don't want you looking at it. I don't want you to know it's here, you know, and we'll deal with it, you know. And, and so what happens is we have compartments and some of the things we let God into some things we're indifferent, and some things we don't want God in in our lives. 
But part of Christian integrity is letting God in to every area of my life, to literally inviting him to be the Lord over every one of those compartments, no matter how much I feel like God doesn't care about them or as much as I don't want God in them. Maybe if I'm honest, there's some things I don't want God in and I don't want him to remove because I'm a sinner, you know? And so that's the reality but asking God to come in and be the Lord over every part. Now, what is the great command? Jesus said what it was. He said, it's to love the Lord your God with how much? All of your heart, mind, which is your soul, and your strength. In other words, the great command, what we're called to as Christians, is to love the Lord with every part of our heart, with all of our heart, with all of our mind, and with all of our strength. And here's my premise, what I'll put before you here this morning, is that it is impossible to be integrated or to have integrity or to answer this call of God to be sincere. It is impossible without giving God full access to every part of my heart. Now, David recognized this in Psalm chapter 86, verse 11. In Psalm 86, verse 11, David prayed this prayer, and I love it. He said, unite my heart to fear your name. Unite my heart to fear your name. In other words, even David recognized that there were parts of his heart that were divided from the whole purpose and call of God for his life. And he realized that if he was going to become the man that God wanted him to be and the man that would be the most blessed in this life, that he was going to have to allow God into even the parts of his heart that he would rather not deal with, especially not in the light of God's word or God's ways. But he said, unite my heart to fear your name. And so for you and I, if we recognize that there's parts of our heart or parts of our life that have not been sanctified, we haven't let God in, then the call for you and I is to literally invite God into those areas of our life, to ask him to come inside, just like we did at salvation, right? How do we get saved? We said, Lord God, come into my heart. Save me of my sins. I want you to be my Lord. And we asked him to come in, in a general and generic sense, and he did, and he saved us. The lights went on. But there's a further work of now asking God to come into the specific areas of my life and to be the Lord over those things too. And so I invite God in and I say, Lord, would you be the Lord over my recreational life? Would you come into that? I don't want to have a separate time when I'm not in your presence. I want you to be in that part of my life. Lord, would you come into every part of my marriage as a man? Lord, would you come into my sex life? Would you, Lord, would you come into even my vices and those things that I struggle with? Would you be the Lord over whatever it is in my heart that's hungry for something that I'm trying to fill with X or Y or whatever it is? Would you come in and be the Lord of that part of my life too? And I'm literally inviting him in to every area of my life. And, and what happens is I become integrated because he doesn't ever refuse those invitations. You know, sometimes... I have trouble handing over the keys to certain closets, certain doors, you know? Sometimes I, I have trouble letting go of that. And what I've found in those instances is to say, Lord, I can't let it, I can't put it down, but if you would have it, I'm willing that you would take it from me. 
And I find that he's just as willing to answer that prayer as he is the one where I'm open and willing to having him come into my life. And so it's important to let God in and give him access to every part of my life. And that's part of becoming sincere. You're in 2 Corinthians chapters, uh, actually, I said 2 and 3. I think it's actually 3 and 4. And I, I, obviously, I'm not going to go through and read uh, everything in, but I want to give you kind of like an overview of what is being said here, and then you can go back and look at the details later on. But it really has to do with this whole concept of being uh, sincere and, and of having integrity. Look at chapter 2, verse 17, because that's really the premise, the heading for the next two chapters. And Paul says this, he says, For we are not as many... So he's speaking of himself, and he's comparing himself with others here, which corrupt the word of God. But he says, as of sincerity, and that's our word. That's the word. It's the same word. It means integrity. It means being the same thing on the outside as you are on the inside. He says, but as of sincerity, but as of God, in the sight of God, speak we in Christ. So in other words, he's saying there are some people that have a corruption. Corruption is just mixing, right? If you, if you have like pure gasoline and you were to, you know, put water in it, you've corrupted it. You've mixed it with something else. And so what Paul's saying here is, saying, listen, we're not compartmentalized in the way that we do this Christianity thing. We're not some that say, well, the word of God, I'm living the word of God. That's my, my, my values are the word of God, but it's corrupted with something else. It's divided. Paul says, that's not the way we live. He's saying that we, we do it sincerely. We want it to be real. He says, we speak in the sight of God in Christ. And then what he does is he says in the beginning of chapter 3, he says, listen, I do not need, because of sincerity, I do not need a doctorate or a degree from a seminary. I don't need reference letters from the churches that I've been to. I don't need affirmation from men to prove what I am on the inside. I don't need outward things. That's what he says in the first few verses there when, when, when he opens up the thing there. But then he moves from there and he says in verses 5 all the way up through uh, verse 12, he says the other thing that we don't need, not only do we need no degrees, but we don't need any veils either or veneers, outward coverings to make it look like we're something that we're not. Now, the way he says it in these verses is that he reaches back into the Old Testament to a time when Moses, remember when Moses went up on the mountain and his face would glow when he was in the presence of God? And then he would come down from the mountain and he would put a veil over his face. And the reason why he put the veil over his face Moses said, was so that I don't blind you by this beaming light that's coming out of me. I don't, want, I don't want you to be stumbled by this light that's coming. So he put a veil over his face. But what Paul says here in this passage is he says that the reason why Moses put the veil on his face was not to keep them from being blinded by his light, but rather it was because the glow, the glory was fading when he wasn't in the presence of God, and Moses didn't want the people to see that the glow was not from him. He didn't want them to see that the glow was fading, that he wasn't as spiritual as they thought. And so he put a veil over his face. Then he would go up on the mountain, he would be with God, the glow would come back, 
And he would come out and he would let it kind of emanate out from under the veil. And they'd say, oh, if only you knew how spiritual I was under in here. But meanwhile, he knew that the glow was fading because the glow was not his own. And what Paul is saying here is he's saying, listen, listen, we do not do it as Moses. He says it's not as Moses. Look at verse 12, chapter 3, 2 Corinthians 3, 12. He says, seeing then that we have such hope, hope in Christ, hope in the gospel, we use great plainness of speech. That's the same word as sincerity. And the word literally, it means without wax. We don't have to wax over the cracks in our character or our flaw. We don't have to hide our infirmities or our weaknesses. We use plainness of speech and watch verse 13 and not like Moses, which put a veil over his face. Why? So that the children of Israel could not steadfastly look to the end of what is abolished. In other words, so, so that they wouldn't see the fading glory. He says, we don't do that. We don't put veneers spiritually over our behavior publicly to make it look like we're more spiritual than we really are. We use plainness of speech, sincerity, no veils. And so not only no veils, but then also no deceit. Look at chapter 4, verse 1. He says, Therefore, seeing we have this ministry, this blessed trust that's been given to us from God, as we have received mercy, we faint not, but we have renounced the hidden things of dishonesty, not walking in craftiness. Now, dishonesty, we know what that means. It means to be insincere, to lie. But craftiness is sleight of hand, right? Craftiness is make it look like one thing when in reality it is something else. Plus, we don't do that. We don't do dishonesty. We don't do crafty. Nor do we handle the word of God deceitfully. But, and here's what we do do. So that's what we don't do. Here's what we do do. By manifestation of the truth. Now, what's manifestation of the truth? To manifest something is to reveal it, right? It's covered up and you take the cover off. You've manifested what? The truth. Manifested the truth. Commending or recommending or showing ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. In other words, what Paul says is that this is true Christianity. True Christianity is I don't need the affirmation of men to tell me that I have value before God. I get that from God alone. I don't put veneers spiritually up to make myself look more spiritual than I am, and I don't use deceit or craft to forge this spiritual persona that I'm something that I'm not. Here's what I do. I lift the veil, and I just let what I am be clearly seen, warts and all, without wax, and I let you be the judge of whether or not God is real in my life. Am I free to just be a Christian before God and to just live in sincerity? And as Paul says, that's the way we live. That's the way we, we do. That's Christianity. We don't do religion. We don't do hypocrisy. We do reality. And that's what God ultimately wants. How? We let him into every area of our life. And then number four, and finally... How does integrity happen? It happens by letting God now shape my values. So I let him into every area of my life, and now I let God shape my values. How does that happen? 
In John chapter 8, Jesus was having one of his classic uh, disputes with the religious people of his day. It's funny that Jesus never had disputes with sinners. Jesus never had arguments and, and problems with people that, that were on the, on the fringes or in the margins of society. Uh, he seemed to do quite well with them. But he didn't do very well with religious people. Uh, that was constant conflict. In fact, there was almost no good engagements with religious people. <laughs> that was almost always hot. And one of those such occasions, um, they were questioning him about certain things, and there was question about belief and uh, you know, contest over who believed and who didn't. And Jesus spoke profound words. It's John chapter 8, verses 31 and 32. You'll know the passage when I say it. But Jesus said this. He said, if you continue... In my word, then you are my disciples indeed, and you will know the truth, and the truth will what? That's right. And the truth will make you free. That's what Jesus said. And then a few verses later, he said, whom, whoever, the Son sets free is what? Free indeed. indeed. He sets free. So he says, the way that you follow me is he says that you continue in my word. And he says, if you do that, you're going to be my disciples, and the truth is going to make you free. So what happens when I, as a Christian man, continue seeking after God in his word? Two things are exposed whenever you and I approach the scriptures. Number one is we see the values of God. We see the values of God. And so he talks about truth-telling. He talks about integrity. He talks about purity. He talks about generosity. He talks about marriage. He talks about public character. He talks about how, how we should uh, deal in our business and with our money. He talks about how we should raise our kids. He, talk, he talks about all his values. There's nothing that's laid out. We read the word, we see his values, number one. The other thing that we see very clearly is our flaws. We see that there's a misalignment often between the values of God and the values that I possess. It says in Hebrews chapter 4, it says that the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder, the dividing in half between the soul and the spirit, the joints and the marrow, and it, the word, is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of my heart. And so what the word does when I let it in is it reveals what's right and then it reveals what's in me. And I can see the division between what's right and what's in me. And it says in the next verse that all things are naked and exposed before God. And so he sees it, he knows it. And so I see a misalignment between God's values and my behavior. Now, what do I do with that? I can either, number one, excuse it. I can say, "Mm, well, that's just the way I am. Or "Mm, I've tried to change. I've read five self-help books and it didn't get me very far. Mm." You know, I knew someone with this. This is in my family history, and it's been in my family for as many generations as I can remember or know, and so there's no hope of me ever. And I can excuse it, or number two, I can enable it. I can make some excuse where, well, this is okay for me to live this way or to have this value because I live in, you know, 
the United States of America in the tri-state area where everybody kind of operates on these values and dog eat dog. And if I don't, then and when I can enable it, I can excuse I can enable it or or I can bring it to God and I can repent of it. I can embrace, I can embrace what God says coupled with the fact that I'm not, I can embrace it and then what? I bring it to him and I say, Lord, as you are the Lord of my life and you call me to be like you, I'm asking that you, by your power working in me, that you would crucify what I am and create what only you can make me. I wait upon you for change in my life that my integration would not be one of constant flaws and failures, but that it would be one of change, transformation, and spiritual power in my life. And I allow God to bring my values in line with his own by the power of his spirit working in me. I see where I fail. I see what you want. Now, Lord, do it in my life. I give you permission to make this change. The Bible says that a leopard cannot change its stripes or its spots and that a zebra can't change its stripes. Can't happen. But God says, I can change you. I read in my devotion this morning, Jeremiah 18, the potter. And Jeremiah was told by God, go to the potter's house and I'm going to speak to you there. And he saw the potter working with clay. And God said, are not you in my hand like the clay in the hand of the potter? Can I not shape and make you what I want you to be? What an amazing word for you and I to realize that our hearts, when put in his hand, he's able to fashion, forge, and create in them things that we can't do in ourselves. Which of us can touch our own heart? Not one. But God has access to all. And so I allow him to shape my values, and it requires faith for me to, uh, first of all, believe that he's going to do it. And sometimes it requires faith also to believe that I'll be grateful if he does. Because sometimes I think, well, God, if you touch, if I give you this part of my heart or if I let you change this thing in me, I enjoy this thing in me, Lord. And so sometimes it takes faith to realize that on the other side of that change, I'm going to be glad that he did it. Sometimes it keeps me from asking him to do it if I don't believe that. So why does integrity matter? Integrity matters because, first of all, we were made to be free. We were made to be free. There's a heart cry inside every man to be free. And when we have the freedom to take off the veils and the veneers and to take off the facades and to just be what we are, know that we're accepted by God and that he's working, changing us, there's an amazing freedom in that. When I don't have to constantly be thinking about where I am and who I need to be in this setting, but I'm free to be who I am, where I am, because he's in me. There's an amazing freedom in that. And so God calls us to this so that we can know freedom. It also matters because integrity of character is vital to lasting fruitfulness and enjoyment of my life. See, how many have you known in your lifetime that because of a lack of integrity and of putting themselves forth to be something that they're not and of unchanged flaws in the character over a long, long time, period of time and things being hidden, a whole lifetime of good work and good character is ruined by a few moments of indiscretionate behavior. 
And if I don't allow God to integrate me and unite my heart in his values and his ways, then eventually my flaws and weaknesses are going to outrun my strengths. And I'm going to be exposed. And I want to be lastingly fruitful and enjoying my life. And then the third reason why integrity matters is because in the life of a man, all cylinders are necessary for full power. Right? How many have ever had a cylinder go out on their car? You're running on less than four or less than six or less than eight, and you know it because there's a stutter in it, right? And then there's a check engine light. There's something in the computer that's saying something's wrong here. All the cylinders aren't firing. There's a misfire somewhere. There's something wrong. And listen, God made us and God made every part of our life. So he made our marriages life. He made our work life. He made our church life and spiritual life. He made our recreation, our hobbies, our enjoyments, the, 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 the various parts of our person. He made all of those things. And in order for our life to be operating in full power, all of those cylinders need to be in sync. Every part of it needs to be firing rightly. And the only way that can happen is if God is in every part of it and I'm allowing him to make them work together. If I'm compartmentalized, if I'm compromised, if part of me is in and part of me is not, or part of God's in me and some parts I don't let him in, then the full power of my life is not going to be there. And so God calls us to integrity, not for anything selfish on his part, but because of what it does in us and what it does for us. Freedom, lasting enjoyment of life, and the full power of having every cylinder work together, it matters. And so as God said to Abraham, he says to us this morning, he says, I am almighty God, walk before me and be sincere, be complete, be whole. He's given us the power, he's given us the capacity He's given us the call. He showed us how. And he leaves the ball in our court to walk in it. And if we do, we'll enjoy it. He'll take us there. Amen? Amen. Thanks for joining us for the Pastor Nick Santo podcast. To regularly receive these teachings, be sure to subscribe so that you can get it automatically when it's released. If you find this material helpful, please share it and help us get the message of Jesus out to others. We also appreciate your feedback. So if you would, leave a review in iTunes or email us at pastor.nickpc at gmail.com. Until next time, may you continue to love, learn, and live the way of Jesus.